You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Good morning, Thorn Creek Church. What a privilege. Uh, isn't that awesome? Just this whole youth takeover weekend. I love it. It's my favorite. Uh, yeah, my favorite service, I think, of the year. Um, I'm not joking you. These students, they've been practicing these songs for the past two months every week. We've been getting to youth group an hour early and setting up so they could practice and prepare. So this has been processed for a while, and they're just so excited to be here and lead us all in worship. And what a privilege it is to, um, honestly, to be their youth pastor. I can tell you, I'm convinced I have the greatest calling in the world, and I have the greatest church and the greatest youth ministry on this planet. I really do. We have an amazing, amazing group of teenagers, a wonderful group of youth leaders as well who just love and encourage. If your kids are part of the youth ministry, I want you to know your kids are deeply loved and cared for. Um, so we just have an amazing, amazing ministry here. Um, today, since it's Youth Takeover Weekend, uh, I have the privilege of preaching, which means you guys are stuck with me today. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of quiet there for a moment. I couldn't tell if you guys were okay with that or you're about to leave. I don't know. All right. Well, we're, con- we're going to continue in our series of Acts chapter 2. But before we get started, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and the way that you moved in Acts chapter 2. God, would you speak to all of us today in a powerful way? Lord, I pray for the person who walked in these doors today who's needing encouragement. I pray for the person who walked in these doors today and they're just struggling. They're in a dark place. God, would you speak to the heart of that person today? And as well, God, speak to the person who's in a mountaintop experience in their life right now. Would you speak to them in a powerful way as well, Jesus? We love you. We lift up your name in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, this has been a fun series so far. Uh, one of my favorites, I think, is, is the book of Acts and just this, this, this series about the, the Holy Spirit being unleashed on the church, unleashed on the people. This book is so powerful. You see just the Holy Spirit move in amazing ways. There's incredible stories in here about the early church, the things that they faced, and the things that God did in and through them. Truthfully, these are the pioneers of our faith, right? These are the ones who set out, who started it, and the Holy Spirit just blessed it. You know, you can tell when the Holy Spirit is moving. It's exciting. It's obvious. Everyone can tell when the Holy Spirit is moving, and it's such a powerful thing, and that's what we read in in, in the book of Acts. So two weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy preached on the beginning of Acts chapter 2. He preached on Pentecost, which in in this story, if you're familiar, the people were gathered together, and the Holy Spirit was unleashed on them, and people started speaking in all kinds of languages, not intentionally. What was truly amazing about that is, is, in this, is in this place, there were people from different parts of the world, different, different languages, different countries gathered together. And the beautiful part of that story is as they were preaching, it says that everyone heard the message in their own language. You know what that says to me is that the gospel is a global message. It speaks to everyone. It, it, it goes across all language barriers. The gospel speaks to everybody in every situation. So that's where we're at today. We are in Acts chapter 2, and, and, and in, this, in this chapter, Peter gives this incredibly bold sermon, incredibly passionate, incredibly bold, and he's speaking to everyone present about the fact that they killed the Messiah, and Jesus really was who he said he was, right? Peter's like, guys, Peter try, or Jesus tried to tell you, and you killed him. You killed the Messiah, but guess what? It was impossible for death to hold him down. Peter preaches fire to these people, and he's excited, and he's passionate, and check out what these people thought. As we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Can we read that phrase one more time? They were what? 
They were cut to the heart. We're going to talk about that phrase here in a little bit. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The fact that they referred to them as brothers is really significant. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. So, so what happened here? Just a little while ago, these people were yelling, crucify him. These people were upset. They didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. And now all of a sudden they realized what they had done. So if you look back to verse 36, check this out. This is what, this is what Peter says. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Hey guys, verse 36 for me. Verse 36. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Don't you just love Peter? Don't you love the story of Peter? Keep in mind who Peter was. He was this guy who was always like saying things that maybe he shouldn't say. And I think that Peter's mind and his intentions were right, but his actions weren't always there. I love Peter because he makes me feel better about myself, right? See, Peter went through this journey. It, Peter had this relationship with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he says, no, I'll never deny you. I'll, 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 I'll die for you, Jesus. And as we know the story, Peter denies Jesus three times. And Jesus looks at Peter and he knows. And then later, you know, Jesus is crucified. He raises from the dead. He comes back and he meets with the disciples. And he has this conversation with Peter. And do you know what he asks Peter? He says, do you love me? And he asks him three times. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? So Peter goes from, you know, being bold, saying, Jesus, I will die for you. I'll never deny you, to denying him three times. So he goes from here to here, and now he's feeling really bad about himself, right? Not feeling very good about himself. And then Jesus says, do you love me three times? And then God uses Peter, and Peter ends up speaking this sermon and causing this revival as we're going to read. But Peter says, let it be known to all of you that Jesus, remember this guy you killed, yeah, he wasn't lying, he really was the Messiah, and they were cut to the heart. They got that terrible feeling in their stomach because they knew they messed up. They actually killed Jesus, the Savior of the world. But if you remember, these people were on a roller coaster. On Palm Sunday, they were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise Jesus. And then on Good Friday, they're yelling, crucify him. And now they're like, oh, we were right the first time, right? Uh, Richard Thompson said this about that phrase, cut to the heart. He says, the expression, cut to the heart, conveys a sense of emotional turmoil due to the conviction of guilt over their now recognized role in Jesus' crucifixion. They had placed themselves in a hopeless predicament by rejecting God's messenger and purposes. You understand how they were feeling? That feeling of intense guilt, they had that feeling in the pit of their stomach that they knew that they messed up. So they responded to Peter by saying, all right, what do we do now? The fact that they referred to them as brothers showed this respect and humility, and they were sincere. They said, brothers, we want to make this right. We want to fix this. See, there's part of me that loves this story because it shows conviction. It shows the fact that they recognized it. They understood it. I'm telling you, God can do so much with a heart who is willing to be convicted and who is willing to, to repent and who is willing to make things better. God can do so much with a heart like that. So God is full of grace, God is full of mercy, and God is full of compassion. You know what I love about the God that we just sang to here today? Is that nobody is ever too far gone. Nobody is ever beyond God's grace. Nobody. 
Not your, not your friends, not your family, not you. Nobody is ever too far gone. Everybody can be covered by the grace and love of God. So they said, brothers, what can we do to make this right? And here's what Peter says in verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love this part, verse 39. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, to whom the Lord our God will call. That promise is for all. It's for everyone. It's not just for those who who think they've got it right. Not just for those who, who are doing the right things. That promise is for all of God's children. Repent and be baptized and you will receive forgiveness for your sins. That's good news. I could just say amen. We could all leave this place today right there, right? So Peter responds to this crowd by telling them to do the same thing that Jesus has been teaching, and that is to repent. Okay, this is a good sign. I want to talk about repentance here a little bit. Here's what repentance means, to turn away from sin and to return back to God. Okay, repentance is literally a 180-degree turn. True repentance is you're walking in this direction. You're living a certain life that you know you shouldn't be living. You're making decisions that you shouldn't be doing, and you're walking down this road, and then you get to a point where you repent. When you repent, you turn around, and you don't ever walk that way again. That's true repentance. You know what's not true repentance is you walk this way, you stop, you say, God, forgive me. You keep going this way. God, forgive me. You keep going this way. God forgives you. Don't get me wrong. But true repentance is you turn away and you never go on that road again. That's what it looks like to be repentant. That is a repentant heart. See, repentance requires action. It requires sacrifice and it requires obedience. Repentance isn't easy. Nobody ever said it would be easy. But it requires something from us. See, we're called to live our lives with a repentant heart. Here's the truth. Without a repentant heart, you might visit the church community. You might think this is all pretty cool. But if you don't have a repentant heart, you won't stay committed for very long. That's just the truth. You've got to have a heart that is willing to repent. You've got to be willing to lay down your pride, admit to God and others that maybe you made a mistake, that you need to ask for forgiveness. There's two types of people I want to talk about here. Number one, someone with a repentant heart, okay? This person recognizes their need for Jesus every moment of every day. For this person, they measure their life by their convictions and their heart for the Lord. That is a person with a repentant heart. They measure their life by their convictions and their heart for the Lord. Somebody who is prideful without a repentant heart thinks they are doing pretty good for themselves. Like, yeah, I'm doing the right things. I help out people. I'm a nice person. I do good things for my family. I'm nice to people on the road. I don't flip people off very often. I'm a good person. But for this person, they measure their life based on their definition of success or their accomplishments, but they lack conviction from the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? Person number one with a repentant heart measures their life by their convictions of the Holy Spirit. Person number two with a prideful heart, no convictions. It's all about their accomplishments and how good of a person they are. Have the repentant heart. Be the first person. See, repentance is key. A.W. Pink said this, the Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. If you don't want to grow anymore and you walk with God, just stop repenting. Just stop admitting that you've done anything wrong. Just, Just have a prideful heart. See, repentance is a process that requires consistency. It's a daily decision. 
Every single day you wake up and you think, God, I, I want to have a heart of repentance. It is a lifestyle. It requires self-awareness and humility. It, it requires laying down your pride. See, the truth is, if you're unwilling to repent, if you're unwilling to admit you've done something wrong, you have a very, very long road ahead of you. Everything's going to be difficult. Every, every, every encounter, every situation, if you do not have a repentant heart, if you are unwilling to lay down your pride and admit that maybe you've made a mistake and ask somebody for forgiveness, you've got a long journey ahead of you. See, God can do so much with a heart that is soft, that is teachable, that is moldable, that is willing to change, that is willing to grow and adapt, than with one that is stubborn and prideful and just, I never make any mistakes. I'm right, you're wrong. God can do so much with a heart that is soft. Ezekiel eleven nineteen talks about this. It says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's what God desires to do inside each and every one of us, to remove that heart of stone, that stubborn heart, that prideful heart. But we have to be willing and teachable. And once you get to that point, once you're willing and teachable, God can do so much in you, it's unbelievable. That new spirit thing that it talks about there. You know when somebody comes to know Jesus and you can see a change in them? It's like, wow, you're different. You used to be so angry. You used to be so mad all the time. What happened in you? You're smiling. This is weird. You're buying my coffee. I always bought your coffee before. This is weird. What happened? There's a definite change in somebody when they see the Holy Spirit because it's unlike anything else that we can ever experience. And that's what God wants to do in us. See, the heart of stone is unwilling to repent. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, repentance is as much a mark of a Christian as faith is. A very little sin, as the world calls it, is a very great sin to a true Christian. That's convicting, right? That little white lie that you told should be a very big deal to you. That lustful moment that you had should be a very big deal to you. Those things that you shrug off, that you say it was just, it was just a small thing, it was just one time. No, because the, you know what happens? The more you accept that, the more you allow that, the more it starts to happen. So even the little things, we have to get out of our lives because the little things can grow and they can take over. But the truth is we're really good at lying to ourselves. We're really good at justifying those very little sins within ourselves by saying it's okay, it was only one time. Nobody got hurt, nobody has to know. It's those things that grow inside of you, that grow into much bigger deals. So we should be very concerned about the little things. Again, having a heart of repentance. Check out this quote. It says, live a life of repentance and God will take you very far. Live a life of pride and you'll be stuck like a hamster on a wheel. You may spin your wheels and feel like you're running, but you're getting nowhere. Does that sound exciting to anybody? You want to be stuck on a hamster wheel all the time? That sounds frustrating to me. Running and running and running and running and never getting anywhere. See, if you want to get out on the open road and you want to go somewhere, you've got to live a life of repentance. You've got to be willing to admit that you've done something wrong. And again, because God can do so much with a heart that is soft and teachable and moldable than with a heart that is stubborn and unwilling to repent. Have a soft heart. Be willing to be teachable and watch what God can do in and through you. It's amazing. When you give God just a little, it's amazing what God can do. And when you give God even more, it's, it's even more amazing what God can do. So give God all of yourself. Repent. So the second thing that Peter tells them to do is to get baptized. 
Okay? To be baptized further emphasizes this theme of repentance. According to a biblical scholar, Richard Thompson, he said, baptism was often associated with repentance. So he says in scripture, he goes on to say that, that we see this through John the Baptist and, and even through the early Christians throughout the book of Acts. It's just this theme of repent and be baptized. You know, we just did baptisms here uh, during our Easter services. I got to baptize several teenagers, and I'm telling you, that is the paycheck, that's the payday, that's the celebration, that's the exciting moment, because that is just such a beautiful demonstration of the church coming alongside somebody who's, who's walking in their faith, and it's, it's a beautiful picture of somebody with a repentant heart, saying, God, I recognize my need for you. I, I love you, I support you. Jesus, will you help me along my journey? Acts 2, verse 40, let's keep going. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Why is nobody clapping? This is awesome. I'm surprised. I did this last night and same thing, nobody was, nobody was clapping. So I'm going to read something that might blow your socks off a little bit more. Let's check this out. So if you just go back one chapter, okay, one chapter to Acts 1, verse 15, it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about how many? So we went from 120 to how many? Isn't that exciting? See, that's the Holy Spirit. That's revival. That's, do you believe God can do that still today? See, God didn't just move in the Bible. God's moving today, too. I believe that God can do that. So God took this group of 120 people and grew it to 3,000 people. Again, remember who was behind this? Peter. God used Peter, the same guy who denied him three times, the same guy who Jesus came back and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's feeling like this. He's feeling like the scum of the earth because he's just denied the Savior of the world. And then God says, you know what, Peter? You are the rock in which I'm going to build my church. And then look what happens. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, nobody's ever too far gone. God can use anybody. That was revival. You know what I see here is these people finally understood who Jesus really is. Finally, they got it. They understood. But what I don't understand is these people had an advantage that we don't have. They literally saw Jesus. I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. They saw him. They walked with him. They were taught by him. They, they saw him perform miracles. I mean, Lazarus, holy cow. This guy was dead for four days. Jesus comes in and goes, nah, I'll wake him up. That's Jesus. And these people were like, well, even Thomas, right? You know the story of doubting Thomas. And so finally, Jesus rises from the grave, and all of a sudden, people get it. All of a sudden, something clicked, and it makes sense. But guys, this story gets better, because now... Now that the church is growing, the Holy Spirit has been unleashed on these people. Now we see what happens in the church. And this is just the exciting part. This is the part that we would love to see happen in our churches today. Check this out. Verse 42, it says, they, what did they do, church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They were devoted to the gospel. They were devoted to the church. You know why? Because they were excited. They saw the Holy Spirit move. They caught a glimpse and they were like, that is awesome. I want to give my life for that. They devoted themselves to it. I got to tell you, I've been in the, mature, in the church for the majority of my life. 
And I think I've seen the very best in people and maybe some of the worst in people. I've seen that happen in the church. Please hear this. I want you to hear this today. No church is perfect as long as it involves people. If you want a perfect church, have an empty building with nobody in it. But that's not the church, right? We know the church to be the people, the body of Christ, not the building. So no church is perfect. No pastor is perfect as long as it involves people. Maybe you're here today and you've been hurt by the church at some point in your life. I hate to break it to you, but it's going to happen. We can't stop it. People are imperfect. People mess up. People, people fail. People will fail you. Your pastors will fail you. It will happen. But, but, but the challenge is how do we respond to those challenges? Are you truly devoted? Are you devoted to the church no matter what? When times are easy, when times are difficult. It's a lot like a marriage. Your commitment to the church is a lot like a marriage. Um, Pastor Ruben said this one time. I loved it, so I wanted to share it with you uh, today. <laughs> he said that we are to love God and love his church, which is the church as we know is the bride of Christ, right? So how would you like it if I walked up to you and I said, hey, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife? You'd probably punch me in the face, right? We can't have one without the other. You can't have God without his bride. You can't have his bride without God. They work together. So we have to be devoted to the church no matter what, and understand it's full of people who are imperfect. But that's part of what makes the church beautiful. It's imperfect people coming together for the purpose of, of praising and lifting up the name of Jesus. These people understood this. I want to encourage you with this. Live for the mission, devote yourself to the mission of Christ, and deal with the hurts and challenges as they come. Marry the mission of Jesus. Marry the Great Commission. Date the people. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. Marry the mission. Marry the mission. Love the people. I want to talk about this word devoted for a second. What are you devoted to? This picture here is a documentary. I recommend everybody see it. It's called Free Solo. And there's this free climber. His name is Alex Honnold. And he climbs. He, I don't know if you know what free climbing is. That means no ropes. No safety net. No mattress at the bottom. No trampoline if he falls. If he falls, it's all over. He's this crazy adrenaline junkie. But he climbs this literally straight up a wall. It's called El Cap. And he, he climbs it. And I'm telling you, in order to accomplish that, he had to be pretty devoted, right? I mean, training every single day. He lived in his van for years because he was always traveling to these different mountains to free climb. That's a picture of devotion, right? What if we were all that devoted to the church and to the body of Christ? So I want to ask you this question. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? These things aren't necessarily bad things, but is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it making money? Is it eating healthy? Is it being successful? Is it spiritual growth? Is it your church? See, the truth is, today, people will devote themselves to all kinds of things if they think it might make them happy. They will be devoted to something if they think it'll make them happy. People will devote themselves to working extra shifts at work to pay for things they can't afford, even if it means they will have to miss church or small group or whatever else. Do you see the problem there? What are you now devoted to? You're now devoted to paying for these things rather than the thing that's most important for you, which is your, your relationship with Jesus and your walk with God and your, and your relationship with the church. People will devote their kids to playing a certain sport so that they might get a certain scholarship, even if it means they can't participate in youth group activities. And then what's really sad is that comes at a cost. I'm telling you as a youth pastor, my professional experience and opinion, I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen where the sport took the, the, the main priority it took the main development, and then the church 
went to the backside. After they graduated high school, they stopped attending church altogether. They were never devoted to the church. It was never, it was never a priority for them. And the sad truth is, more and more young people are walking away from the church after they graduate. And the issue, more often than not, is they were never devoted to the church in the first place. Parents, we've got to, get, we've got to teach our kids, this is, where, this is the most important thing. This is what we're devoted to. And this isn't a speech to promote Thorn Creek Church or the youth ministry. This is, this is important because it matters for their lives. Their devotion to Jesus is most important. Their devotion to the church is huge. The truth is, what you are devoted to will get the most of your time, your energy, and your resources. That's it. So think to yourself for a moment. What do you spend most of your time, your energy, and your resources on? What's getting the most? Now ask yourself, where does church fall on that list? See, the truth about our culture today is we're devoted to seeking happiness wherever and however we can find it. We'll sacrifice. We'll strive for it. We, we will live for happiness no matter the cost. And that's a sad truth today. We'll even justify seeking happiness by saying, God wants me to be happy, so I believe it's God's will. This makes me happy, so it must be God's will. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Paul was happy when he was in prison? I don't think so. Do you think the disciples were happy when they were murdered for their faith? Murdered for following Jesus? I don't know if God has necessarily called us to be happy all the time. God wants to bless you, don't, don't get me wrong. But don't make decisions in your life based on what you think will make you happy. Make your decisions based on what God is leading you to do. This quote says this, A mature Christian is devoted to the call and mission of Christ far more than chasing after the things that they think will make them happy. The mature Christian is devoted to the call and mission of Christ. That's it, and that's what we see in Acts 2. These people were devoted to the call and mission of Christ. Let's finish up this chapter. Verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what it looks like when people are devoted to the call and mission of Christ. God sees it, God blesses it, and the Holy Spirit comes alive, and it's amazing. These people were devoted to the call, but, but the thing is they caught it, they got it, they understood the mission of Jesus. This is truly what Acts 2 looks like, Right? says they met every single day. One thing that we say here at Thorn Creek a lot is we say life is better in circles, not in rows, which is why we believe so much in our small groups here. Life is better in circles, not in rows. I want to show you a picture. This was last Thursday night at youth group. Uh, I asked Pastor Ruben to come and speak to our students. It's good for them to hear him in a youth group setting as well. Um, and at the end of his message, he asked students to come forward to receive prayer. And these students came up willingly as he prayed for them. And I just thought, that is so awesome that we have this, that these students recognize their need for prayer and they came forward. Guys, this is exactly the kind of thing that teenagers and adults need. A community of people, a community of believers to encourage one another, to pray one another, and to laugh together. This is the community. Uh, Cadence, are you in here? Come on up, Cadence. I asked Cadence to share a testimony with us. 
Uh, Cadence just graduated from high school yesterday. She, uh, she came straight here from her graduation. She was all dressed up. She came straight here, picked up her guitar, and played, and, and, and gave her testimony last night. So I asked Cadence to share a little bit about what the youth ministry has meant to her. Go ahead. My name is Cadence Chelf. I have been going to this church for as long as I can remember. I started going to the youth group when I was in seventh grade. I've made so many amazing memories. They all involve some pretty funny stuff. At this time, I had a horrible haircut and my right arm was covered in a cast. I started in the summer, so we were in our eye game series. We do games that contain playing with water, and if you've ever had a cast, you know you weren't supposed to get them wet. I never got mine wet, but I would show up in a, with a garbage bag taped to my arm to make sure. One time that we went to Power Surge, which was our winter retreat that we go to um, with other churches in the area, and there was this concrete path on a hill that you would walk on to get to the gym. It was 10 at night, so we were all walking back to our rooms, and people were sliding down the hill on their feet like, you know, normal people would do. And I, being the funny kid I thought that I was, thought it was a good idea to slide down on my stomach. Let me tell you, it definitely was not a good time. Um, one time I went to Waterworld, and this was with um, my sister, Pastor Nick, and his wife, Rachel. And we were doing the thing that teaches you how to surf. I was getting on the boogie board, and it didn't go so well. The board stayed where it was, but my body didn't. <laughs> this group has been a family. I have made so many jokes and memories, from going to Nashville and bunk beds that were very close to breaking, to going to Chick-fil-A every Thursday night. This group has become a big part of my life. This was the group that I was with when I gave my life to Christ. It was during a summer camp that I was and I was really struggling at that point in time. When we went, I was amazed. The night that I gave my life to him, it was like the weight was lifted off my, so my shoulders. A few years after that, I had the opportunity to get baptized. When I was baptized, Pastor Ruben asked if anyone wanted to get baptized, and I felt an insanely large urge to walk up there and did it. Do it. So I did. I was one of the last people that our old pastor got to, uh, Pastor Scott got to baptize. And it was this group that got me through all the trials that I had gone through with life and my relationship with God. I was lucky enough to have a group that I could go to with anything. Thank you, kids. I just wanted to share one more uh, testimony with you. This is Hannah. Hannah Vogt, uh, such a sweet girl. We baptized her this past year. Um, but Hannah, she wrote this in her testimony. My name is Hannah, and this is how I came to know the youth group here at Thorn Creek Church. In my quest to know God and grow, I read the Word of God. In fact, one of the scriptures that is a favorite verse of mine is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This was a verse my mom also shared with me, even when I was still in the womb. This verse has brought me peace many times in my life. Reflecting on this verse and the wisdom from my mom is what became the catalyst that prompted me to ask about how God could live in my heart and how I could learn to grow and be a witness for him. Therefore, as a family, we tried different youth groups prior to Thorn Creek, but they made a big deal about my disabilities. Living a life where I trust Christ's prompting, I had the courage to try Thorn Creek's youth group. After all, my friend Alexa told me how much she liked it. So in my obedience to Christ and act of faith, I came to Thorn Creek. With the help of my mom, brother, and through the Thorn Creek youth group, I have grown in my relationship with God. The youth group is a place where I feel accepted and welcomed. For the first time, I don't feel that I'm a burden in a social group. 
especially to the adults that help me. Even with the, when the games are physically difficult for me, I'm given the support I need to participate. When I attend youth group, everyone says hello to me and makes me feel loved and accepted just as Christ has loved his church. It's been great to make so many friends who are striving to live a life as Christ would want. That is a life full of love and acceptance. Moreover, in my obedience to follow Christ, I also came to the point where I wanted to give a public profession of my faith in Christ as my Savior. So I was baptized here this last year. The whole youth group was there to witness and support my decision to be baptized in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Guys, I don't know how else to say it other than this is the body of Christ. I'm convinced the church is the greatest community on earth. So I want to invite you to submerge yourself in it. Expect challenges to come. People aren't perfect. It's going to be okay. Push through the challenges. Fall in love with the mission of Jesus. Fall in love with the mission of the church and expanding the gospel to those who who, who need to hear it truly. But this place is for all of us to grow together. None of us is perfect. None of us has this, this thing all figured out or all together. But we're doing it together with one another. So I encourage you, uh, join in, jump in, commit wholeheartedly. Devote yourself to, this, to, to the church like, like they did in Acts chapter 2. If your small group's going to meet every day for dinner, that's awesome. Do it. But continue to lift up the name of Jesus. Make this place your home. Uh, let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your truth. I thank you for loving us, God. Would you show us how to live a life of repentance today? Would you show us what that looks like? Would you teach us? Would you shape us? Would you mold us into your followers, into your church, God? And as we continue to love your bride, Jesus, we're striving. Would you continue to to lift us up, Lord? I pray for the person in this room tonight who's far from God. If that's you today and you want to you draw back in, you want to jump in and you walk with God, I encourage you to say this prayer. Say, God, I know it's been a little while. I feel like I've drifted far and I don't know where to begin. But Jesus, right now, today, I'm returning back to you. Would you welcome me with open arms? Would you forgive me for the things that I've done? You're still my God. You're still my Savior. And from this point forward, God, I'm going to follow you to the best of my ability, but I need your help, God. Would you surround me with people who will help me, who will encourage me, who will lift me up? I give my life to you again today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.